Welcome to Engage with Equal Forum. I am one of your hosts, Glenn McKay, a former executive director and current board member of Eagle Forum, and I'm joined by Eagle Forum's political director, Tabitha Walter. Hey there. Today we have with us author, speaker, and marriage coach, Suzanne Binker. Suzanne has written many books, is a frequent contributor to the Washington Examiner and the Federalist, and hosts her own podcast over at the Suzanne Binker Show, where she exposes cultural lies on men, women, sex, and love. Perhaps most importantly for today's subject, Suzanne's late mother, Odile Mecker, a powerhouse woman in her own right, was the only sister and sibling of Phyllis Schlafly. Thanks for being with us, Suzanne. Thanks for having me. Well, today we're continuing a series of episodes in response to Hollywood's new television series on Phyllis Schlafly and the battle she fought against the so-called Equal Rights Amendment. But first, we just want to make sure to say thank you to Suzanne. As conservative women, wives, and mothers, we really are so grateful for the work that you do to tell the truth about the differences between genders and the value of marriage and family. What inspired you to take on this work? Well, it kind of happened over time. I didn't set out to do this when I first started writing. So that's kind of a story in and of itself, my whole writing career and how it started. But I think if I had to identify, you know, the impetus or like the really, the thing that gets me going the most, I would have to say it's Hollywood and the cultural lies that are fed on a routine basis to young people in general, but really just to everyone, right? And they do it in such an insidious way that it gets into, the messages get into people's hearts and minds, whether they're aware of it or not, because of the world we live in, is so connected to that, especially with social media, but this has been going on, of course, for some time. If there's no voice to tell the truth, I just feel like you're a part of it. You know, I feel, I, I feel like I can't not say anything when I know that that's happening. So I think what drives me is a deep desire for truth and my willingness to take the crap that goes with that. Absolutely. I think that's where a lot of us start at is we find something that we're really passionate about or something that we feel like is wrong. And so we want to do something about it. So we've all been watching this new FX on Hulu series, Mrs. America, and we have certainly welcomed the opportunity to engage in a national conversation about our Mrs. America, the Phyllis that we knew. However, it's clear that the writers of the series have an agenda, and that agenda is not to promote Phyllis Schlafly. In fact, they really portray her in a negative light. You obviously knew Phyllis very well. What did you think about her? Oh, that's a pretty broad question. Let's see. (laughs) All I can say is that the person I know and the person they're portraying are not the same at all, with the exception of the physicality. They got the physicality right, her hair, her voice, her dress, that all watching that is very surreal to actually watch it. But basically, the message they're trying to get across with this series is that she was cold, conniving, and power hungry, and was just looking for a way a means to achieve that power when nothing could be further from the truth that doesn't even remotely describe her, the trajectory of her career. But I would say the, the, the part that's probably on task is that she was definitely all business, you know, all work and no play. So she wasn't somebody that you're close to in the way that you would go have lunch with a friend or go to the movies or 
hang out all night in your stocking feet, you know, and um, watch TV together and talk about what's happening. You know, th- that's not who she was. She was just a very business-like woman. So my experience with her was more of a business nature, if that makes sense. We actually wrote a book together in 2011 called The Flip Side of Feminism. And I, I had a lot of people say, wow, like, how does that work writing a book with her? Because, you know, she's so intimidating to most people, but she wasn't intimidating to me. And I don't, and certainly other family members. So my perception of her is that wasn't an issue when writing a book with her. If anything, I I learned some things from her. She learned some things from me. And I would call it a very much of, I would call that experience very much a collaboration. Um, Another thing that was very glaring is the way they're portraying the relationships that she had with the people in her life, one of which is Eleanor Schlafly, her sister-in-law. Now, I knew Eleanor very well. In fact, when I was a kid, I used to go over there and stay with her for a week at a time when my mom and I would have big fights. <laughs> this, is, I, this is kind of funny because I had sort of a tumultuous teen life with my mom. And, um, and so I'd go over to Eleanor's and Anne would be over there. Uh, her, you know, Phil's youngest daughter and, and the structure of that home, which was very, very structured, you know, ringing a bell for dinner, no TV, for whatever reason, that was actually preferable to me than what I was dealing with my mom at home, so, where I could watch TV. Right. Um, so it was very funny. But anyway, so Eleanor and Phyllis had completely separate lives. I never, I, I don't think I ever saw them in the same room together, actually, except for yeah. at an event, maybe at a, some sort of family event. Mm-hmm. Phil, Eleanor was never in that house. She was not involved in raising those kids. And she was not frumpy, like they're showing on TV. She was extremely thin and stood up straight and was very social and a complete opposite caricature of what they've portrayed in the show. So I worked in the same office building as Eleanor for a time. And that is exactly my immediate response was she was not frumpy. She was very glamorous and classy (laughs) and just kind of had that same commanding presence as Phyllis. So it just struck me that, you know, Eleanor was probably one of the closest women to Phyllis that was single and they're portraying her as this frumpy sad, um, very displeased with her life. Woman, what do you think they're trying to say? Are they trying to make a statement about single women or are they trying to attack Phyllis? Well, both. I think both. I mean, remember that part where she's talking to a bunch of them in the room. She was referring to single women who never married and couldn't find husbands or something, but she she didn't phrase it that way exactly. But they, then they zoomed in on Eleanor's face, suggesting that Phyllis would talk about being this sort of hapless, husbandless grown woman with her in the room. Right. And that, that would have, and that she, you know, they're showing her Eleanor looking at that, like, Oh, I guess I'm kind of hurt by that or whatever. I don't know. It just, it's just, yeah. wouldn't happen. it just wouldn't happen. Well, and Phyllis would never, you know, Phyllis would talk about the feminists and how they were miserable and unhappy. And that's why they were taking on this battle, but she would never take personal shots. I never heard her no. once say oh that, you know, you couldn't find a husband. It was more, Oh, because of this feminist, uh, movement, women have forgotten the importance of family and children. And, and so they've been distracted by this career instead of thinking, oh, I want to be married. I want to have children. And Bingo. so I need to take this Bingo. time in my life to allow for those things. Bingo. And the fact that Eleanor happened to be a single woman who never married is totally beside the point. It has nothing to do with her point. Right. That's right. A, there's a story there and that's, that's a separate thing and just not related. And I also loved how they showed her um, trying to set her up. <laughs> 
with a divorced man, no less. Right. But set right. her up. Like, she, you know, she did not get involved in people's personal lives in that way. Right. So that's another thing. So you hit on the issue of the show making her out to be cold and calculating. But really, her mission at the core was to protect the family unit as the foundation of our society. Um, She wanted to protect the freedoms of women to be wives and mothers. She consistently said that women had choices and opportunity to be whoever they wanted to be. Mm -hmm. But we shouldn't forget the importance of marriage and children within that equation. Right. And then obviously she believed that the premise of women's liberation was a total lie. Do you agree with this notion and can you expound on yeah. that? Yeah, so I 100% agree. In fact, that's where she and I are aligned um, or were aligned. And that's had a lot, ugh, that was why we wrote that book together. Although that book didn't specifically hone in on that message per se, but that's what I've been preaching for years. I mean, that's the crux of the work that I've done is that, hey, this whole narrative is completely twisted. There is no reason to be teaching this bogus idea that as a woman, you are um, a victim of this oppressive society and you only have two choices. You can either be a career woman or you can go get married and be you know, trapped in your home with your husband and you have no life. I mean, that's essentially what the, the argument is still somewhat that way, even though it's become more politicized and they don't focus as much on that issue today as even 10 years ago. But that's really at the core of it. And as a result, it's so infused into the culture I just spoke with someone on my podcast that's coming out next week on this, that young people, women in particular, are raised to literally assume and focus on the fact that their entire life is going to be consumed by getting this education that's going to, by the way, go on for 10 years. You don't just get one degree anymore. You just, you know, get two, three, four degrees and then go into the workforce. And so when you're talking about mapping out your life, there is literally no discussion of what for the vast majority of them will ultimately become not only the focus, but the most important thing and the most valuable thing in their life. So what sense does it make to do that? That is a, that is a political um, agenda that that message is getting through to young women. And I'm saying, hey, they don't care about you. They have an agenda that has nothing to do with your life. If you really want to have a purposeful life, you've got to focus and prioritize what is ultimately going to be the most important thing. And it's wrong to not do that and not encourage them to do that, which has nothing to do with anyone who, for example, doesn't want that in their life. If you don't want to get married and have kids, fine, no one cares. But this, we've got to focus on the people who do, which is, by the way, the majority of women. I think it's important to highlight the word priority because I remember getting prepared for college and yeah, I wanted to get married and I wanted to have kids someday, but I had other priorities first and I didn't realize until I was actually married and I have a child that that brought so much more joy than anything else in the workforce or any education could have brought me. And so I think, I think people our age forget that there is this greater priority in your life and that it needs to fit in. I think they don't know about the joy. You use the word joy. I literally think they just don't even know that you can't conceive of what it's like to hold your baby as soon as he or she emerges from the womb and what that feels like relative to everything else in life, unless we talk about it, 
If we're not going to talk about it, then how would they know? So there's the joy aspect of it. Then there's the practical reality of trying to juggle full-time, round-the-clock work with young children, which is a joke and ridiculous and does not work and is terrible for kids so, and for the mom and for the family. So how are we going to you know, incorporate the fact that children have needs that you need to meet and that there's a way to orchestrate your life and map it out in such a way that you can meet those needs and still do what you want to do, but just, you have a very long life, right? And so just incorporate this into it rather than just pushing it aside. That's really my beef. That's just, I'm not willing to do that. And this segues perfectly into a discussion about your mother, which we need to have. In one of the first episodes of Mrs. America, she's mentioned as Phyllis is talking with her sister-in-law, Eleanor, about needing to go to St. Louis to find her mother a new dress. So they're making much of um, Phyllis's mother um, in very subtle ways, but we'll discuss that um, later perhaps. But Eleanor's character says, well, your sister can't do it. She lives right there. And Kate Blanchett, who plays Phyllis, shakes her head and says, well, she works. I, and she kind of shrugs, work. As if to say that your mother didn't find value in what Phyllis was doing and was too busy with her own career. So we'll talk about your mother's career and the choices she made in a minute, but what do you make of that? That suggestion that your mother wasn't supportive of Phyllis's work and couldn't be bothered in that way. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I, she wasn't, she was supportive in that she gave to her uh, mission financially on, and a she yearly, the ERA. on a yearly basis. And she hundred percent agreed with her. Absolutely. As to whether or not she physically did anything, not much in terms of the daily or even weekly work of what Phyllis was doing, but she did attend events occasionally and she did give regularly and she absolutely 100% agreed, but it's true that she worked and she wouldn't have had uh, anything to do with the, physical nature of that, that organization. Sure. But it wasn't that she was so busy with her work that she didn't have time no. for family or to help find no. her own mother address. Clearly Hollywood can't be bothered with details, but their point there is to say <laughs> that I, you know, Phyllis yeah. is to make it seem as though Phyllis, there's this tension between Phyllis and your mother that um, she, your mother actually had a brilliant career as a stockbroker and Phyllis was just, you know, folding newsletters to take on this political issue. And it just seems to me mm. that, that that wasn't the case. In fact, I found, quote, as I was reading back through one of Phyllis's biographies from your mother, Odile said this about Phyllis. I certainly admire her tremendously. I think she's a very great person. She's always been that way always been just a model and a leader in a quiet way, not in an obvious way. I've certainly never achieved what she has. She's an extremely brilliant person. Yeah. Quote. So clearly Odile admired Phyllis. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. She did. I mean, I would hear regularly that she was brilliant and that I, I, it was too young to understand when I was very young, what was going on, why Phyllis was different from other people, sure. you know, why her life looked different. But the things that I gleaned from the women in my family were very, you know, whether it was my mother or whether it was Phyllis or even my grandmother who had two degrees and she was born in the 19th century. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, the message came through loud and clear whether they spoke about it or not. Um, although my mother did it's the complete opposite of victimhood. Yeah. You can do absolutely anything you want in any era that you want. So I got a lot of the practical, the reason why I was never a feminist and never had to like move away from becoming one to not is because I was groomed to know the other side of the story. Right. right. I was my whole life. I understood that I can do anything I want, have whatever I want, but I also did get from my own mother, especially that I can't do it all at once. 
So while I appreciate her humility in that quote where she says, I've certainly never achieved what she has, let's set the record straight. Odile was extremely successful. So not only was she well-educated, but she became the first female stockbroker in St. Louis. And I found another quote where one of her colleagues said she was, quote, one of the best brokers in the business, male or female, and that she did more to advance the cause of women as brokers just by her example than six busloads of feminists <laughs> to eradicate sexism could do in five years, end quote. So, I love that phrase. I mean, I love that quote. Yes. So I'm very, very proud of my mom. And like I said, so she and the Phyllis were on the same mindset about, you know, what you could achieve in life and not being a feminist and, and whatnot. The difference is that they went about it in different ways. So my mom was very private. She wasn't an activist. And when she confronted or faced some sexism, which she did, not in you know, abundance, but she definitely did and told me about it, sure. um, she ultimately quit that job and went to work for a company that would go on to welcome her with open arms and which, for which she did not experience sexism. That was G.H. Walker. And she was there for years. Point being that, look, when you run into an obstacle, switch gears, find someone else. There's always another place for you. You don't stop and try to change the world because someone thought you weren't good enough, right? That's just not how you cope. You, 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 you just go make it happen. So that was in me from day one. So the idea of banding together with a group of women to cry victimhood and try to change society was just laughable to me, even in college when it was very common, even then to think like, you know, a feminist or whatever. Um, I did have that, what I consider now a leg up. So as you mentioned, I mean, she certainly faced adversity. She just chose to take that on in a different way than feminists, whereas feminists take on the victimhood. She moved on, found something else, didn't complain about the past injustice. She just had her eye on the proverbial prize. Well, she still left her field to be at home with you and your sister, yeah. as you mentioned, when you were young. So she really lived what Phyllis was making that case Absolutely. For. We don't need liberation, but our most fulfilling work does come inside the home. Oh, absolutely. And then, so she, I was three when she quit ultimately and came home and never went back to have a full, uh, to have a job, job again. I mean, she was very actively, she was very active in other pursuits, but she did not have a, a paid job. But that was after 15 years because she, she waited. She was, she waited much longer to have children than Phyllis did. And she only had two, not six. <laughs> so she was 38 when she had me. Wow. And yeah. And had my sister at 36. So that's 15 full years of being in the, in the workforce, which even today, by today's standards is, is long. Right. Um, so she liked to say, and she did say in that biography, in that chapter, that she did things, quote unquote, backwards. <laughs> She's, she had her career first and had kids later. And by the way, she would not suggest that if she were alive today. And, you know, there's a couple different ways. I've talked about this a lot about how to incorporate both of these aspects in your life, right? You can get married first, have a career later, career first, marry later. And then, or you can move in and out of the workforce as you're having, you know, married with kids. That's what I did as the needs of your children change. So I sort of dropped out for about five years when they were little and then moved my way back in when they were both in school. And, and so the way my mother did it, she, she would not recommend one of the reasons why I always wanted to talk about this, actually, so I'm, I'm, I'm glad to be talking about this. Thanks for asking. There's a lot of negative aspects to waiting until your mid to late thirties to having children. And nobody wants to talk about it because it's so politically incorrect, but I don't think that's helpful, right? You, the truth is not only does your body not cooperate as well, obviously that's the obvious physical aspect of it, but there's more to it than that. So 
for example, the, the, the age difference between my, your grandparents and the grandchildren is so great that you lose a lot there. So my daughter, for example, has seen that and witnessed that, and she lost her grandmother early on, too early, you know, too early of an age. And that's because the women in my family, kind of, well, not Phyllis, but the others sort of married and had children later in life. So my, my daughter wants to do it opposite of that so that we're around all the time and, and you know, physically able to help her and be really hands-on with her kids. And I, I, I think that that gets lost in this whole later, you know, um, pregnancy thing. And so that was, you know, my mom did that at a time when nobody did that. It was just unheard of. So she really stood out. Um, but she would raise me with, to, she would tell me whatever she didn't like about what she did, she would pass yeah. on. Don't do it this way. Do it this way. <laughs> um, and so I, I don't know that I followed suit too well. I had mine at 32 and 35. I ended up having my children later because I was married and divorced in my twenties, no kids to my college sweetheart. And so that whole thing had to play itself out. And by the time I met my husband, I was 30. So then I had my kids later that, you know, it wasn't exactly the plan per se. Um, but the reason why that first marriage ended had everything to do with values and priorities and not being on the same page with, with that. Um, he was definitely work first, family second, <laughs> all the way around values and priorities. And so it's so, so important to get that right with the person that you're going to have a family with and spend the rest of your life with. And so I kind of learned that one the hard way for sure. So if you get that right earlier on, I think you, I think marrying earlier is, is, is fine in a slam dunk for it. Just, it didn't work out that way for me. And I think people think that because it didn't, then therefore I should not encourage other people to do it, but I don't see it that way at any rate. So I did end up having children more like normal by today's standards, but I'm just saying that for my mom, 36 and 38 in the 1960s was crazy, right? And in fact, here's something interesting. She used to also tell me that, you know, she had an apartment by herself for all those years when she was single. And uh, she said, well, I might as well have been a woman of the streets because people, women didn't have their own apartments right. and work. So if you did, you must have been someone who wanted to bring men home to your place. Like that was the idea oh, wow. at the time. Yeah. Um, it was just new to everybody, you know, you just went from your home to your, you know, to getting married. What do you think it was in your grandparents? What principles or life lessons or values, what did they instill in their daughters that resulted in both of them kind of being yeah. outliers in their time? Well, I don't know if they verbally instilled this or if this is just a result of what happened. I obviously know what happened, but they too had an unusual circumstance where my grandmother, like I said, she had two degrees and she was born in the 19th century. Yeah. So that alone makes her very unusual for right. women. Um, and then she married, she was married, she married later too. So I don't have the, the scoop on what her twenties were like, but at any rate, she, my, my grandfather lost his job during the depression and never worked again. So my grandmother had to go and become the breadwinner. Yeah. Um, and they lived with their grand, there were three generations under one roof. So there was their, their grandmother was there full time. So almost my grandmother was the person who took care of my mom in the early years. I think that's an important point to make is that um, the women in your life did have jobs. Phyllis had a job and they paused for a moment to raise their children. And so they weren't completely oblivious to the workforce. No, not in the slightest. <laughs> Um, but that is the most interesting point, which is why I never, I, I couldn't have been, I couldn't have ever become a feminist because 
like I said, from day one, I had a completely different model for how to live life as a woman yeah. and a different model for how, for my philosophy as to what society being, you know, America being um, a land of opportunity versus a land of oppression. So, which is not to say that if you're raised in a more conservative household, you can't be swayed by the feminist culture. I, I know that happens to a lot of people, which is always really fascinating to me as to how uh, deep the culture can really make, like, can really get in under your skin, in your skin, despite what you've been raised to believe, you know, like it can, it can, for some people, undermine their parents' uh, values. It's almost as if they make Phyllis out to be kind of like, oh, bless her heart, she didn't know what she was doing. Like, yes. Oh. We're facing all of uh, this, all these kind of critiques and um, I guess sexism from men, but it's almost like she, they, they try to make it seem like she doesn't see it. And in the same way, it's mm-hmm. like they, they also show all these women in her life who don't have the same um, relationship with their husbands. And so Phyllis couldn't possibly have understood the victim and oppression women were facing because she had such a great husband and this great life. So that's, yeah, that's a really, I'm glad you brought that up because that is what I got is the overarching theme is this, they have a message they want to sell about the fact that women were oppressed. And along comes this woman who is so different from everybody else. And that part's true. There aren't many Phyllises, Um, but they use that to suggest and to say that all of the women she tutored and helped with her cause were hapless victims of oppression as was Phyllis, but they all just don't realize that they're under the spell of this woman who somehow manages to ignore her own oppression and, and, and right. do these big things. And of course it's the complete opposite. And these people did not feel the idea was that Phyllis was unusual in this one respect that even if she wasn't dealing with oppression, which, Oh yes, she was, she just didn't see it. But even if she wasn't, she was the only one because the rest of them definitely were, you know, that's the message they want to get across. So even with my own grandmother who, when she showed, this is so funny. I had to say to my cousin, Ann, Oh my gosh, is that Dady? Cause it doesn't look like her because the only Dady I knew had such horrible dementia for 20 years that she did not know my mother for 20 years. So that woman on the screen in no way resembles my grandmother who lived there only after she had had so much dementia. She just basically was on the third floor and was cared for in that way, but she couldn't have participated in Phyllis. Let's say Phyllis did have a bunch of people over to do that in their, her home. If my grandmother wouldn't have been a part of that and she wouldn't have gone out to get her hair done. Like all those details are just so made up. And the idea that it's almost like my grandmother was learning from Phyllis too about her own oppression. Right. I think that's what you meant. Yeah. Um, and that's purely comical as well, since nothing could be further from the truth. It seems like they're trying to raise that issue of uh, dementia or Alzheimer's or whatever it was, and then just portray her, Phyllis's mother, in this negative light as well. So it's just offensive the way that they are attacking conservative women and especially the women within Eagle Forum who are called your mother a powerhouse. But these all of Phyllis's state leaders through that entire time are just powerhouse women. So the fact that they, you know, make them out to all be these um, frumpy followers who are odd in one way or another is just offensive and careless and and couldn't be more incorrect. They're the strongest women, actually, much more strong than many of the feminist, uh, hapless women who are trying to follow their feminist leaders and really don't have any ability to 
get up and lead in any way. I mean, the, the conservative women, it's the complete reverse. I mean, they, they are the real leaders. They're the ones who are willing to get up and um, say what needs to be said. They've got these qualities, in my opinion, that feminists wish and think women should have. That's right. um, all women should have. And yet the women that they recruit don't, they wouldn't be able to um, do to young women what they want to do, which is to brainwash them basically into believing they're victims. You can't do that with somebody who's actually really strong. Right. It's the complete opposite. You wouldn't be able to do that to a conservative woman. She'd be like, what are you talking about? So conservative women are actually far more empowered than your average left-wing person who's going to be more susceptible to that propaganda. Hmm. Right. And the show is grossly stereotypical towards women. (laughs) Um, Like we saw, you know, Glenn mentioned that they really undermine the powerhouse aspect of all the Eagles. They showed all the Eagles as, you know, catty and, and there were, there's a lot of infighting and they were unsure of this whole movement that Phyllis was bringing about there are no racists among us. That was the most offensive. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And they haven't quite, let's see. Well, no, they did that on episode four. That was the focus of four, right? Episode four. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's another thing. People have asked me about that. And I I never, ever saw a racist bone in Phyllis's body. Right. And that was proven false by her biographer. She challenged people who called her racist and, said she was taking money from racist organizations and there was nothing ever proven and Phyllis came out right. Yep. It's a hit piece. Well, thank you so much for being with us, Suzanne, and helping us tell the truth about Phyllis Schlafly and who she was. Thank you for listening to this episode of Engage with Eagle Forum. We encourage you to visit Mrs. America, M-R-S-A-M-E-R-I-C-A dot org, O-R-G, for more information on the real Phyllis Schlafly. Uh, And if you liked what you heard today, please share and engage with us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. From your house to the state house to the White House.